Uh, as you read this psalm, I know you can't read it up there at the moment, as you read it, you can tell it's earnest, can't you? I hope that at least uh, left its impression on you. Uh, whoever wrote the psalm, and we don't know exactly who, uh, is genuinely passionate. Uh, and I don't have any trouble really understanding the bulk of what's written in the psalm, but I will be the first to admit I find it pretty hard to feel the psalm with the same thrill as its author obviously felt as he wrote it, or she. Uh, and, uh, and I suspect you might be scratching your head a little as well. What do, we, what do we do with a psalm like this that doesn't tell us exactly what we must do and sort of talks about a few things that actually just feel so removed from our everyday experience? I want to say right off the bat, one thing uh, that this psalm does do is it reminds us, little old us, that we didn't invent the Christian faith. Now, this is a thing we've inherited Uh, Christianity might look to us uh, a lot of the time like a very white, western, middle-classy kind of thing. Uh, And that's often how we're viewed, even by our own friends. Uh, Just, you know, decent people who, you know, have a certain amount of privileges in life to begin with. But we of the white, western, middle class have no exclusive claim to the doctrines or the morals of Christianity. Uh, Most times, I want to say most times, and and I'm... pretty clear on this, I think, most of the time. Scripture speaks seamlessly across the boundaries of geography and culture and centuries. Most times when you read a passage of Scripture, it is not too hard to see um, right off the bat something that it might be speaking to you. But sometimes, and I think today is one of those days, it does, take, it does us good to remember that we are late arrivals to this thing. Uh, and it takes some humility to acknowledge that if there's things that don't automatically compute in our heads then it is up to us to change. It's not up to the Bible to change or for us to change the Bible. So this psalm shows two major themes of ancient Christianity. David as king uh, and Zion, this theme of uh, Zion. Uh, And breaking the psalm down can help us to see that. Uh, So we've got David and Zion. And let me show you something Um, here. So, uh, remember, O Lord, in David's favour, that's right at the start, verses 1 to 5, and then sort of the third stanza along, the Lord swore David a sure oath. Uh, So, we see this theme of David repeating, but also Zion, O Lord, go to your resting place, which we understand in the passage is Zion, Uh, and further down, the Lord has chosen Zion, and that's actually a really big uh, chunk of the final verses. We also see this uh, in the flow of the psalm, Um, in the structure, it shows us the faithfulness of God because while the first two sections are pleas to God, requests, remember, O Lord, O Lord, go to your resting place, uh, the second half sort of gives you God's answer. Uh, Even though David swore an oath to the Lord, we find in the second half that the Lord swore an oath to David and the Lord's oath is better than David's. Uh, And also, uh, not only are we asking the Lord to enter this resting place of Zion, but the Lord has chosen Zion uh, and he will do what he will do. So whatever hope the people have placed in their Davidic king and in Zion, God promises in this psalm to fulfil. So for us to grasp the faithfulness of God as it's shown in this psalm, we need to be able to answer these two questions and this is mainly what I'm going to talk about today. What is the big deal about David and what is the big deal about Zion? Um, And these are you know, big questions, and especially as you read your Old Testament, you find these words and these themes coming up again and again, so today's a good chance for us to look at that. What's the big deal about David? 
the first few verses show us that if nothing else, David is an example to follow. Um, verse 1 pleads with the Lord to remember in David's favour, if only for all the hardships he endured. That's verse 1. Uh, the reference to David's hardships uh, isn't asking for sympathy, uh, as if to say, oh, poor David, you know, he had such a tough life, um, God, please give him a break. Uh, because in, in many ways, if you're familiar with the story, David led a pretty charmed life, actually. I mean, it wasn't easy all the way, uh, but having a pretty blunt view of it, he was a shepherd boy to begin with. He rose to be a national hero, and then he became king of Israel. Poor David, right? Um, no, the point of his hardships that he endured lies more in the fact that David would do and suffer anything for God's sake. That is pretty typical of his life for the most part. He would do and suffer anything for God's sake. He's an example to follow. And so there is a question in this for us. Would you do and suffer anything for God's sake? The example in the song is how David decided to bring the Ark of God, which I talked about with the kids, how he decided to bring it, um, the symbol of God's presence, into Jerusalem uh, and how he promised not to rest until he was done. Did you notice that in verses 2 to 5? David swore to the Lord, I will not enter my house. I won't get into my bed. I won't give my eyes sleep. I won't let my eyelids slumber until I find a dwelling place for the Lord. It turns out that bringing the ark into Jerusalem was a major, major operation. You can read about it in, um, in 2 Samuel chapter 6-ish, no, 8. I think, around there. Um, it, turned, it was a big operation. Uh, I'm pretty sure David did sleep, by the way, between deciding uh, to bring the ark in and the ark actually coming in. I reckon it would have taken days to prepare um, the, the ceremony. Um, but remember, this is a song, and what the words capture is a determination uh, and a faithfulness to serve the Lord. And it still asks that question of you. Are you determined to be faithful? to serve the Lord. So that's part of the big deal about David, his fearless and humble service to God, uh, his worship which was all of life, it wasn't reserved for uh, services and ceremonies, uh, but uh, this all of life wholesale service to God. Uh, and so it does us good to be inspired by the life of these giants. That's the first thing about David. The second, and actually by far the most important thing, is what the song's response raises, uh, in verses 11 and 12. So remember, the start of the song says, uh, remember David, and then there's another little bit, and then it revisits the remember David thing. Uh, and it talks about God's oath to David. Uh, and this is the essence of God's oath to David. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne forever. And I need to say, it is really hard to overstate the importance of God's oath to David right here. Uh, there are major limitations to following David's example. Uh, one limitation is that David was far from perfect. We need to pick and choose what it is in David's example that we follow. Um, but the biggest limitation to using David as a template for our life uh, is that God set David and his family apart in an exceptionally unique way. Uh, we cannot just take the promises of God to David as promises to you and I as individuals. Uh, so in this psalm, David is painted at the start as a faithful guy and by halfway through, he's promised an eternal dynasty. This does not mean 
that if you and I try hard to be good, God will promise each of us individually an eternal dynasty. God's relationship with David is exceptionally unique. This is where we need to learn to view David like the ancient Israelites did. We need to get in their minds. Because David, for them, along with passages of Scripture like this, he was their eternal hope. He was their only hope. He was their eternal hope, not so much because of his example, but because of God's oath to him, this second point, God's oath to David. Uh, In our family, at our home at the moment, we're in birthday season. We're going to do five birthdays in four months. Um, And even the kids know what birthdays mean. Cake, right? Birthdays mean cake. Uh, And lots of it, hopefully. The more, the better. More icing, the better. Uh, I guess people still do this. I haven't done this for a while. Uh, When I was a kid, when you blew out the candles on on your cake, you... Make a wish. Yeah, cool. Other people do that. And my sister once told me that she always wished for world peace. Ever since then, I felt guilty if I wished for anything less than world peace. Uh, But it did also feel like a wasted wish as well, because it seemed like, as if that's ever going to happen. World peace. Yeah, right. Uh, The thought of giving every individual perfectly equal portions of peace and prosperity, it's nice. I mean, it's pretty hard to wish for much more than that. Uh, But it just doesn't seem to be how God works in this fallen world. Uh, We are not all given, uh, we are all equal in his eyes, but we're not all given equal gifts and privileges. In the very earliest days of humanity, God too revealed his wish for every nation and person on earth to be blessed. This is God's wish. But he did it, not by giving everyone just the same stuff, but by singling out one person, Abraham, and choosing him as the launch pad for God's very long-term vision for worldwide peace and blessing. And then out of Abraham's two grandsons, the baton was passed just to one, to Jacob. And Jacob's descendants became this nation of Israel, the people who, would, uh, who then took up this song that we're studying today. And this nation would be a blessing to all nations... But still, not everyone's been blessed in the same way. God has chosen a particular nation. And then even within this nation of Israel, heading down the line, David. David is singled out to be God's king and the royal line. And this psalm uh, brings to memory actual words from God to David through the prophet, uh, through the prophet Nathan, actually, uh, that somebody from David's body would be a king forever. And so the nation of Israel that was to be a blessing to all nations was to look inward to David and his line as their only enduring eternal hope. And if you're a Christian, it's because you have bought into this same ancient channel of hope. We are not, strictly speaking, Israel. We are of the nations, outside looking in, but we're looking at the same thing. We look expectantly to David's family tree for our saviour and the seal of our blessing. Uh, And that saviour and seal is Jesus Christ. Jesus descended from David. He was known as the son of David. And that itself is a title given to him by the Israelite people of hope. Because their hope rested in David and his line. Uh, which is why it's impossible to overstate the importance of this oath of God's to David. 
It's not ours, uh, but we receive God's blessing through the Son of David, Jesus Christ. We sung the song, uh, No Other Name, just before. It's been a long while since we've sung it, but the verses go like this. There is no other name can save but Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no victory but Jesus crucified. There's no other cure for sin but that our Saviour died. There's no other hope we have but that he rose again. No other throne endures. No other song remains. But worthy is the Lamb who was for sinners slain. David is our hope, just as he was theirs. Um, except we see more clearly that it's not David himself, but it's that son, Jesus, from his line. What's the big deal about David? Well, his son is our only hope. You could say David is kind of a big deal. Uh, what's the big deal about Zion? So Zion in this psalm at the start is viewed as God's resting place. Uh, In verses 7 and 8 we hear uh, about two very similar sounding things, uh, God's dwelling place and his resting place. Zion is God's resting place. Uh, The dwelling place, according to verses 6 and and 7, is what I talked about with the kids, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, The resting place, according to verse 8, is Zion, where they were bringing it. And you see a subtle difference between where God is dwelling and then where that dwelling will rest. Uh, the Israelites always knew that this small box didn't signify the whole of God's presence. Uh, even when David's son Solomon built the temple and put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, The highest heaven cannot contain you, Lord. How much less this temple, and it was a great temple. And by inference, how much less this tiny little box? Everyone knew God wasn't contained to that box. Uh, Verses 6 to 10 of this psalm, though, are a memory of when David had his people bring the ark into Jerusalem. uh, And Jerusalem had been known as previously as the fortress of Zion. And so Zion is a word mainly picked up by the prophets uh, when they're trying to speak in majestic terms about Jerusalem uh, and as a fulfilment of promise and hope and security, they use this word Zion. Uh, The ark had been built hundreds of years earlier in the wilderness, somewhere between Egypt and the promised land. It was captured for a while by the Philistines. It sat in a place called Kiriath-Jerim for 20 years. Uh, In Psalm 6, it refers to this place, Kiriath-Jerim, although it calls it Jer. Um, And the feeling was that now after all these years in Zion, God and his people had found rest and safety. But then we find a subtle shift starts to take place uh, in the later part of the psalm, where in the first part, Zion was considered as the resting place and the ark is God's dwelling place. Uh, The resting place and the dwelling place are now one and the same. Zion is itself God's dwelling place. Says the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place forever. So I hope I did a good enough job of explaining why David is a big deal. Um, Even for us, uh, who begin on the outside looking in, but when you hear David, think Jesus, right? But what do we make of Jerusalem today or of Zion? What do we do with this? And Christians are split over what to do with this. Should we pilgrimage there? Should we go to Zion? Because that's where God is. There's no harm in that. Uh, Should we pray for political security? Political security there? Sure. 
But I want to suggest that our desire should not be so much for Zion, Jerusalem, the place, to return to its former glory. Our desire should be for God himself. Our desire should be to live and rest with him. Our desire should be for his presence, wherever that life and rest might be found. So there are at least two ways of applying uh, talk of God's dwelling place today. One I talked about uh, with the kids already. It's to take hold of the promise that God dwells inside of you uh, by His Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, so the youth kids should remember it, 3.16. Um, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? You are God's dwelling place. That would be a good thing to dwell on this week until it blows your mind up. I am God's dwelling place. What can that mean? Uh, but I think it's a little bit more faithful actually to the, the direction of this psalm uh, to look to Zion and God's dwelling place in less of an individual kind of sense, although that's true, um, and less in the right here and now kind of sense, although that's true as well, but to think of it more in a community and still to come sort of way. Because there's elements of, you know, this promise of God's dwelling with man uh, that are still left hanging. Uh, There's parts of the promises of this psalm that are still kind of up in the air. Verses 15 and 16 paint a nice picture of what Zion will be like, but it's unrealized. It hasn't happened yet. Verse 16, 15, sorry, there'll be prosperity in a way that even the poor will have enough. In verse 16, there will be pure worship and shouts of joy. And verse 18 leaves us hanging a bit as well. It says, his enemies, this is uh, the king from David's line, his enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Are are God's enemies crowned, uh, clothed with shame? Sure, I would say they are, but it's a little bit like the story of the emperor's new clothes. I'm sure you know it. God's enemies, they're parading in the roar. They're naked, they're ashamed, or they should be, but they're still in the part of the story where the emperor and his advisors are believing in their own victory. Uh, They're still in the part of the story where their eyes haven't been opened yet. And the story isn't over until their eyes have been opened too. So they're not... So all of the shame for God's enemies is yet to be revealed. What about the crown of David's son that will shine... See, although Jesus lives and reigns in heaven, the last time we saw him with a crown, he was bleeding and his body was broken on the cross and the shame was his. See, there's something still to come, which is why we read from Revelation today for our New Testament reading, because to see this song fully realised, we need a window into the future and that's what Revelation gives us. It reveals uh, what's going to come and who's going to win. So I'm going to read again um, the guts of what we read at the start from our New Testament reading. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And don't you see the need for renewal? Uh, That uh, all our hope can't be pinned on things that we're going to see today, but we need to long for something better and something more. It says the sea was no more. That's a way of saying that chaos is a thing of the past. Well, chaos is certainly no thing of the past yet. Uh, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem, think Zion, right? 
the new Jerusalem, Zion, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So let's remember with hope that this isn't all there is. And let's be reminded that Jesus may have worn a crown of shame, but he did that to mock shame and to mash it into the dust. Let's be reminded that God dwells today inside each of his children, but let's be reminded of more than that, that there is still a day to come when that hope will be felt and known in all of its fullness, now, when death and sadness will be things of the past and tears will be wiped from our eyes by God. Look, I hope you can see the big deal about David. Uh, David's line always was, always will be, the sole focus of our faith and our only hope. It is Jesus Christ who sits on David's forever throne. Uh, and I hope you're encouraged, not so much by the Zion that was, but the Zion that is to come, where all the promises of joy and prosperity and the presence of God will finally be realised. Let's pray. Our Father, we, do, we thank you for Psalm 132. Uh, we thank you uh, that it reminds us that uh, we are privileged to look in on uh, these mysteries, the mysteries of God. Uh, that uh, although you revealed these things first to a small group of people and you promised uh, your blessing would spread from there, uh, we thank you that uh, we are the lucky ones uh, who um, by no special merit of our own have uh, been given eyes to see uh, these glorious truths uh, and we're able to join in uh, and tap in uh, to this um, to your mercy and your blessing by fixing our eyes on Jesus uh, who is from David and by looking forward uh, to Zion uh, the renewal of all things tears wiped away death a thing of the past and your presence in a personal uh, and fulfilling way God we uh, confess that our eyes slip so often from these glorious truths. Uh, we thank you for the chance to be reminded of them and we pray uh, that you will encourage uh, and lift us up uh, and, and, of course, as always, convict us of our sin uh, and uh, fill us with joy at your grace. Amen.